0: Today's guest is an ex-Australian Air Force fighter pilot who was forced to retire after being diagnosed with a form of arthritis. New to the world of business, he moved to a country that offered the least barriers to entry, Afghanistan. There with a mate, he set up and started a new business. After a few years, he sold this now very successful company and left Afghanistan and moved to Papua New Guinea for a different career, before finally returning home to Australia to embark on another career as a property developer. Needless to say, this guest doesn't have an off button and is never afraid to embark on a new adventure or career. He has expertly transferred his fighter pilot mindset to create successful businesses and today he is training organisations in how to do the same. Episode 37, Christian Bukousis, or otherwise known as Boo. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. You were a fighter pilot in the Air Force. What made you join the Air Force?
1: Good question. And it's not it wasn't a choice, I think, is is the only way you can answer that. It was just in my DNA uh, and the story I tell. And I'm always a bit gray when I tell this story, so I'm sure over time as I tell it more and more often, people are going, oh, but you said it was six years old. No, you said it was four years old. Some, some stage when I was a young kid, I uh, went to an air show um, where I, I grew up in Brisbane. And I think at that air show, Uh, Mm -hmm. I just saw these incredible machines flying past, uh, all the noise, the smell of the uh, aviation kerosene, everything about it, I think, just had this visceral effect on me. Uh, And I left there thinking, not even thinking, I left there feeling like "Mm, this must be something that I'll I'll want to do. And I don't ever remember... Uh, anything other than wanting to be a fighter pilot, I had I had self doubts about being a fighter pilot. So I, I always had a bit of a backstop for me, which was a pilot. Uh, but my my deep down, my desire was was definitely to to be a fighter pilot. And it's interesting as you get older and you reflect on that. How you know you have these thoughts of self doubt, and 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 now as a as a mentor and trying to get other kids involved in flying, just how many people say, "Oh, I, I can't, I can't do it. It's too hard. So I'm not going to try." Uh, so I'm glad I had that sort of drive. I wasn't very very good at school. I think another thing that happened at that air show when I went to it was part of the display at this air show was a helicopter would, would fly over the crowd and had a, had a car suspended underneath mm-hmm. it. And it would, it would fly fly um, in front of everyone slowly and over the loudspeakers, they would say, oh, with the owner of uh, the white Fairlane uh, registration, yada da, da, um, please, uh, your, your car's parked illegally. And then this helicopter flew over and the car that was hanging underneath it was the same car as my dad's that we drove to the air show in. So I'm, I'm this young kid and watching this helicopter come past and thinking it's got dad's car underneath them. i'm like dad dad you know what what have you what have you done you've parked in the wrong spot and the car's flying yeah and then the next thing they drop the car <laughs> to the ground and it implodes and glass goes everywhere and dad's laughing at me and i'm like what this doesn't compute why are you laughing um and and obviously it was just some some scrapyard car that they'd gone and uh, gone and dropped but what reinforced i think uh, a bit like there's no such thing as good or bad publicity. I think there's there's no such thing as uh, too much positive or negative feeling. It just makes an impact. And as we were driving home, I could hear a helicopter behind the car and it was just getting louder and louder and louder. And I was scrunched down in the back seat of the car, kind of hiding in tears, thinking that this helicopter was coming to steal Dad's car again as we were on the oh, drive no. home. <laughs> but obviously it was just, you know, just <laughs> flying around. So, so for me, the first time I saw an air show had a, a profound impact. Um, and some deep programming occurred where um, I just wanted to be yeah, a fighter pilot. And uh, you're lucky that it, I did um,
0: it. it went. You're lucky that it went. I want to be a fighter pilot and didn't traumatise you as this kid in the back. Yeah, to never, never want to do be. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I've got Were this, you a pilot?
1: I think I've got Sorry, this part go of my personality, which is I <clears throat> just if something's hard, I just get more excited by it. And I don't really do easy. I don't really do holidays. I don't really do relaxation. I love challenges and and maybe it was a a factor of both which was this this fear that underpinned it I didn't want it to win so I thought right somewhere deep down I want to be a fighter pilot I don't want that helicopter dropping dad's car to win (laughs) so I don't know something happened and and it stuck with me for life.
0: (laughs) Were you a pilot before you joined the Air Force?
1: Yeah I was so I flew um, I started flying before I started driving uh, and I just went to the local Aero club and uh you know whatever pocket money i could scrimp and save and then when i left uh, school i was working a couple of jobs it was a landscaper mowed lawns worked in a pub i did go to university for about six weeks uh but i couldn't stand it um <laughs> and i just sort of uh, whatever i earned i rolled into my flying so i did get my private pilot's license I, I did just love to fly when i was at school i was studying all the theoretical subjects at tafe so i did get right into it um and from there, uh, it just sort of unfolded. It wasn't easy, and it was certainly hard for me. I actually only found out last week that I've, I have a, a, um, ADHD. Uh, so I think I was lucky in terms of having the fighter pilot career because that gave me that external or well, that extrinsic motivation to work hard and do stuff. I think if I didn't have that, it would have been really hard. So I wasn't academic at all. Like, I really did struggle at school. I repeated high school, and and um, I didn't do much better the second time around. So... Uh, getting into the air force was great for me i think um just just the focus and every day is just uh, another incremental step there's there's always a target and it just keeps moving all the time and you just follow it like a like a you know like a bouncing ball until you pop out the other end and you know, three four years later you're a fighter pilot
0: what's the training like for fighter pilots do they really put you in that What's the machine that they swing you around? The centrifuge. On the TV? Yeah, they.
1: <laughs> we were lucky in Australia; they didn't have one of those. Um, but the um, the what's the
0: uh, point
1: of those? Well, they just they spin you around like a test tube, right? And the, and the point is to make you feel yeah. like the the pressure that you uh, you're the, under when you're G forces. Uh, yeah, you're a pilot, so you, you get squashed down, and 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 the the purpose of it is in training to teach you the techniques to maintain conscious while you're pulling nine G. Because uh, nine G is super duper uncomfortable. Um, we didn't have those in Australia, so we didn't have to do that training. After I left, they used to have a they fly guys to Malaysia and and do a bit of that training. in the US, you have to do it, but we just did it in the airplane and built ourselves up. And in the aircraft that we flew, uh, the Hornet, it it pulled seven and a half G, which wasn't as stressful as as nine. Uh, and so we we just did it as a mm. building block approach uh, to get to the point where. We could withstand that pressure and squeeze all the muscles and and close the uh, close all the arteries and veins in your neck to keep that blood up in your in your head. So, fortunately, uh, I didn't have to do that. But it is a speaking of the training program. I mean, there's those there's those elements that people see, I guess, in the public eye and go wow. But then there's these other elements as well, um, which which is all part of what is a fifteen million dollar training program per person, mm. and no one else, you know, anywhere in the world undergoes that sort of quantum of training it's just totally uncommercial and and it's just uh, it's around 400 um assessed missions where every single thing that you do you're you are assessed and while you're on pilots course and officer training every action you take where you walk the way you talk the way you behave your entire persona and who you are is is assessed continuously uh, so it's diff- it's not for everyone and the washout rate was pretty high for, for the pilots just on pilot course to become a pilot. the washout rate's around 40 50 percent and then of that 50 percent that's left uh, around 10 to 20 percent go to fly um, fighters. so it's a it is a very intense program. Wow. Um, I, I think yeah, only being 19 when I signed up, I think helps a lot. Uh, I think you've got that mm. real desire, that real hunger. You don't know any better. You don't really know how the world works, so you're quite happy to just keep jumping through the hoops and doing what you're yeah. told. Uh, so, yeah, and, and the four of us that made it to fast jets off my course, uh, we uh, were all young, pretty much straight out of school. So, um, yeah, so it's it was a it was a real pressure cooker environment. But but I think it equips you with some some phenomenal skills, which I, I took for granted. Um, I think until. Uh, about five years ago, my, my whole life circled back and I, I became involved with an organization called Afterburner, and, which is you know, using fighter pilot techniques in business. And when you reflect on that whole journey, that that training as a fighter pilot, it was great to learn how to fly and fight a jet, but what it really equips you with is a specific way of thinking um, and how to approach life and problems mm. and and everything. And, and a- applying that way of thinking or that mindset to the rest of my life has been incredibly powerful.
0: It's interesting that you were saying as a kid how visceral the experience was, and and then obviously getting to the point of being a fighter pilot was a great fun because we in Melbourne we have the um, the Melbourne Grand Prix, and my only experience is working one of the office towers, and you'd see them dogfighting as part of the spectacle of the grand prix yeah that's Dog fun fighting around the city and then coming over and they'd almost look like they're about to stall and then they'd shoot up your building or you know like it was just yeah vertical yeah, it was just cool, amazing huh? seeing
1: it it's very cool um and that, that stuff was a lot of fun i I, uh, I i had the opportunity to do that uh flight display back when we used to have um indycar racing up on the gold coast and it's and it's pretty pretty amazing experience there's, and there's definitely fun elements to it it's not designed to be fun, though. It's uh, it's in, it's a very, it's fun the same way that running a marathon is fun. um, it's it's always a challenge. Oh, I
0: don't run marathons, <laughs> so I. F-
1: <laughs> it's always complex. You're never on top of the jet. You're never on top of the problem, uh, so you're always testing yourself. So as long as you kind of like those environments where you like to sort of put yourself under pressure and see how you go, uh, it it is fun. Um, what. What's really important about it and something I think that translates into any aspect of life is, is being in that sort of team environment and, and, and a team mm. that comes together through adversity and the serotonin and the chemical bonds that occur inside those teams. I think we're making a bit of a mistake in life where we make things super easy for everyone and, and we focus on, mm. on harmony and being woke and, and whilst it's important to acknowledge everyone and everything for who they are and what they are. There's also just this thing where people work better together and have better connections through adversity. And pilot training mm. in the Air Force, it's, it's, that's what it is all the time. You, you come together as a team all the time because everything you do is, is a challenge. And it's, it's a healthy mm. way to be. It's, it's healthy to put yourself in an environment where as an individual and as a group of people, you are challenged.
0: How long were you were you doing that for how long were you in the Air Force for
1: 11 years uh, and I would have stayed in a bit longer uh, whether I made it a full career or not I, I'm not sure but mm. I would have certainly have stayed in a little bit longer um, but I was discharged uh, after being diagnosed with a autoimmune disorder called ankylosing spondylitis which is uh, like a chronic form of arthritis mm-hmm. so yeah it's um, it's a it's a real challenge uh, trying to fly the airplane and and when I was offered other opportunities to do other things inside um, the uh, the organization I just felt no nah, I couldn't do it I, I I really just wanted to be a fighter pilot that was really that level of yeah. performance that team that's what I wanted so so I couldn't do that anymore um and I was 30 I think mm. at the time and it was then that I made the decision you know what I uh, I'm going to leave um and and i and i
0: what year was this
1: oh this would have been about 2004 or five i think um i need to write a time frame down one day because people ask me this question all the time and so were you
0: you would have been deployed then if that time you would have gone over to
1: no i was in the uk when um the second iraq war came so i was i was flying on exchange um and okay uh whilst whilst the iraq war was happening uh two things happened for me one I went with all the other foreigners, and we went down to the Falkland Islands for six weeks while the British went and fought mm. the war. And two, when I came back from that, I went on exercise to Cyprus and broke my leg. So while everyone else oh, was um, in in the war, getting shot and hurting themselves with you know proper grown up injuries that soldiers suffer, I'd hurt my leg. I broke my leg water skiing. So uh, I, for me to try and get home from Cyprus during that period took about a month because the airplanes were full of you know properly damaged people, and, and here's me with a broken leg being an idiot uh trying to get home so so the Iraq war for me was was quite quite um different and I would have uh, there's a lot of philosophical points about that that we can speak to for hours um and and whether it was the right thing to do or not I'll park that decision but for for the average fighter pilot you know feeling like you're doing something for the greater good and 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 executing on what you you should be doing as your job in combat is super important so sort of as part of my decision-making around 30, that's when I thought, you know what, I still haven't scratched that itch. I still don't feel like I've contributed to the global good. I haven't really changed the world. That's, I really want to do that. And that's why my next phase was jumping on a plane and, and starting a, a company in um, Afghanistan with with my best mate uh, and uh, focusing in that humanitarian sector. Uh, and that was mm. yeah the start of, the I guess, the, the business chapter of life. And there's no better place to learn how – business operates than somewhere like that, which is very raw. Afghanistan. Yeah, very raw, very real, um, and and solving, you know, very real issues.
0: How did the diagnosis uh, come about? Like how long had you been feeling that you had arthritis?
1: For a a while, uh, just because I'd I'd get lots of issues with inflammation in my eyes, I'd get lots of issues with um, a sore back and taking painkillers. So it was was for a while there that I I felt that it it was an issue. Um, And Mm. it just when I was in the UK, it just came to a head. It was just an extraordinary amount of pain. I couldn't see anymore. I I, I, I couldn't turn my head. My head just froze in the middle of a mission once. And I was like, I couldn't move it. Um, and it was there that uh, I got some X-rays and MRIs, and, and you know, sort of had it formally diagnosed at that point on. So it was pretty uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> yeah what was what was the conversation? I mean, I can imagine if you're doing what you've always wanted to do, and you're in this career that you love, and to to hear that diagnosis, how long did it sort of take for you to, for it to sink in? Or were you expecting it because you'd had all these issues? I
1: felt there was something coming and I felt like it was becoming difficult to fly, um, but I just mm-hmm. continued to, to push on with it. Uh, but yeah, it's, there's a lot to come to terms with because it's your dream, your sole purpose in life, something you've been connected with since you're a kid. So when, when it comes to that moment, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of scary. Um, and they didn't really do transition out of the military back then. So this is 2005. 2004 ish. Uh, so you were just kind of on your own. Um, so as it was sort of coming up and, and the diagnosis was being passed, I, I, I was still in the air force on the ground doing a ground job for 12 months, which was a fantastic ground job. It was working for the war, a warfare college, teaching people how to you know, plan massively complex programs. Um, which was, which was really interesting to be involved in. And, and again, set me up for life in terms of project management or big, big things, uh, And whilst I was in that period, and it's a great lesson, I think, for anyone that wants to transfer in life, I started transitioning. I started doing my research, built a bit of a business plan, looked at what opportunities were available in the Middle East, who the main players were. I didn't really have a product or an idea of what we were going to do over there. What we just decided to do was Mm. go over and see what needed to be done. We We knew there were projects and schools being built and all sorts of stuff going on. And we thought, well, having no other skills other than being a fighter pilot, and I, and I kind of wanted to be in business but I didn't know how to do it. Yeah, when you don't know anything about business and you haven't been around it, like it's daunting. You've got no idea where to start. So so there was that was the place that that felt like it had the the minimum amount of um barriers to entry uh for guys and my my mate Tom was an ex-army guy. So for us we felt that was the minimum minimum amount of, of barriers of, for us to get started and um yeah, we went there and we won a big contract and and grew, well, grew really quickly. Yeah. Just, just lobbed up and, and landed Afghanistan at, um, was the
0: lowest barrier. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, because there's no law, there's no um, you know, real processes. They just genuinely needed help with stuff. And then we thought, yep, we can get over there right. and we'll figure it out when we get there, was basically <laughs> the upshot of it.
0: So where were you staying? We Because I wouldn't have imagined that it would have been very safe for, for Westerners to be over there.
1: Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. It's- it, it always seems more dangerous when you see it on the news, right? Like the news isn't going to write stories on how calm and relaxed the place is, but a lot of the time it was pretty, pretty chilled. Um, Lovely people. Yeah. Everyone that we, we, we started with nothing. So we just moved into a little hotel there uh, and we just used to operate out of our, out of our hotel. Uh, I think we just bought like a cheap Hyundai, We'd pot around, knock on doors, network, get to know people, and we just built from from nothing. And uh, because we were in that, we were the only Westerners in the hotel at the time. You just got to know the locals and the people that owned the hotel that we stayed in. Also um, harbored uh, abused women. So a lot of the women that suffered acid attacks or abuse or had fingers cut off and or mutilations, they also stayed in the hotel and they were trained up as beauticians upstairs. And one of the, I don't know whether it's known or unknown, but in that part of the world, um, uh, it, women wear wear burkas; they're covered, but but they, they take their beauty very seriously, um, mm. and they're, they're very manicured, makeup, hair, everything is always pristine. So there's there's beauty clinics everywhere, and this this uh, the woman that owned the, the hotel would train uh, young women who had who were effectively outcasts now how to be beauticians and, and earn an income. So, so it was it was fascinating seeing that side, and I, I tell you, it would, it really would be tough being a woman in in that part of the world. Uh, I used to come home and, I, well, my wife at the time, and say, "You say so lucky you're here. Um, <laughs> it's it's a so totally different concept over there as as to the dynamic." Uh, but from a business perspective, yeah, it was it was great. You know, we, we grew a little bit. We got our own house. Rental homes in, in Afghanistan at the time were more expensive than Sydney, New York, Hong Kong. So wow. it was obscenely expensive. And we, we hired a chef who, who could make potatoes, tomato sauce, and coriander on rice. So we literally ate that breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, <laughs> And uh, I can't, I can't look at, I can't eat potatoes. Why don't you just
0: cook yourself?
1: Well, because you just did, we were so busy and we would work from 5am to 11pm and we would not stop. We would be out and about and because we're two dudes, you know, like why would we cook for ourselves when we can, we we can pay five (laughs) bucks a day for a chef Um, and, and we didn't care, you know, like. And that's the thing about when you find this purpose and when you're transitioning and when you're dealing with a setback, like a health condition, for me, I just had to say, right, I've just got to put all the normalities of life on the back burner here and be 1000% focused on creating a business and generating some revenue here. And I haven't had Mm. a salary for 15 years. Like I've had to survive and create my own um, uh, income for 15 years, Mm. 15, 16 years. And, And- at first, it's really hard to figure out how to do that. Then it gets a mm. bit easier. There's like, it's just, a, there's a way of doing it. Uh, so that that for us was like a three-year immersive program in creating something from nothing. Uh, and then that wow. was my thing. I sort of got into starting businesses and, and building them from nothing. Um,
0: what humanitarian work were you actually doing in Afghanistan?
1: We started off primarily uh, providing security to major projects. That then mm-hmm. led into... Um, I guess the simplest way of saying it is a bit like what KPMG does, but we did it in, in that part of the world. Um, and and in parts, we were an HR company. We would, we would hire staff to work in kitchens in um, major uh, camps that were around the country. Uh, we would have quantity surveyors that would be checking the quality of the roads and uh, the, the UN would sign off checks. So you, you would be the check and balance. So the UN would pay us to make sure that the road was built, the building was built. Something was done, um, and then we would bring in consultants that would help work to government, writing legislation and creating documentation. So it was, it was really what did we do? Anything that needed to be needed to be done. Um,
0: was it frustrating because of the lack of um, framework there, or was it liberating? Because no, that was great. You could just get things done faster. Was brilliant.
1: Yeah, yeah. There, there was none of that stuff that you have to worry about here. Um, it was raw business. It was a it was a real need that needed real people, and those real people needed to be looked after. And if they were looked after, they stayed. If they weren't, they'd leave. And we had a policy within our organisation that people that failed to perform, you, you kind of had two weeks' notice, and then after that, you would um, they they would be replaced. So we were like a recruitment company as well. Um, and it just meant that we created a high performing f- framework and a high performing mindset within that organisation. That that company now has gone into on we, we we sold out of it, and and that is now one of the world's biggest humanitarian humanitarian project companies in the world. It's called CTG Global. C stands for Christian me, and T stands for Tom so uh Christian and Tom group is what we uh <laughs> is what we called it tongue in cheek It's
0: very inventive of you, yeah exactly,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we've still got the initials on the company today, so uh that's something
0: <laughs> who decided um how did you decide who went first, why wasn't the tcg group
1: <laughs> we, we put it to a vote we just thought ctg sounded better than tcg we did have both um so um and we did and neither of us had ownership of of what we what who would be what it just turned out that way
0: fair enough so how did you convince tom to go over and do this you said he's ex-army
1: yeah, he was ex army. He he was um, in uh, on the ground during uh, Iraq and became quite disenchanted with the, I, I guess the, the concepts of hearts and mind versus the application. And, and I was a bit like that as well. So we thought, look, we're not going to change the world. We're not going to make a difference mm. whilst in the military. We're going to need to do something else. So, so we we philosophically had conversations about it, and and we had decided in in um, when he was he was South African but lived in the UK and he was married to one of the navigators in my squadron um sally and that's how we met and we sort of conceptually agreed to start a business one day somewhere uh and then and then the medical diagnosis and uh tom's disenchantment with the army just a confluence of events i'm a a big believer in that the universe the universe sets you up on a trail and you've just got to say yes it's Mm. not it never gives you easy decisions but it presents the opportunities you've got to capitalize on it and and a lot of I've viewed a lot of the bad things or the negative things that have happened in my life, whether it's losing money, a business going under, getting divorced, um, having this medical condition, a COVID, you name it. Every time something mm. majorly bad happens, I always, in my mind, I'm like, right, this has happened for a reason. It's time for me to evolve into the next version of, of what I am now. Um, and every time that has happened, it's a, a better version of me, a better version of my service to the world. It, it that's what happens as a result of the adversity and that the the uncomfortableness is part of it the uncomfortableness is part of the journey and you have to embrace it you you can't wish it away you've got to embrace it and and the beautiful thing about adversity and and, and why you need to be resilient is the back end of that is happiness contentment and um and and the sense of achievement you can't win without the losing
0: where do you think that that mindsets come from is that a learned? mindset that you that you came to from being a fighter pilot and that training or is that something that you've always had
1: it's all training 100 percent. i have adhd so left to my own devices my world would be chaos and it was (laughs) it was already chaotic as as it was i mean i was a fighter pilot lived in afghanistan started a company over there came back to uh through papua new guinea tried to build a hotel didn't get that off the ground went to perth built the hotel there um uh, yeah. from there, moved into publishing, had how did start, you- started a publishing business, came into coaching, keynote speaking, writing a book. So, you know, and that was all in a period of, <laughs> like, the, all that stuff that wasn't a fighter pilot was in a period of 12 years. Um, so, Oh my goodness, I feel dizzy.
0: Hang on a minute, let's let's circle back. So, in terms of you sell, selling the business, how long were you over in Afghan for?
1: Three years. Okay. Three years, but we did, uh, after about 18 months to 2 years we did relocate the office uh, to dubai
0: okay why did you go from humanitarian work to i want to build a hotel in or png and then Perth?
1: well we sold ctg to a, a company that was was mainly a security company like a multinational uh, security business and it was that business that i sort of moved into security for a little while um and it, we were up in papua new guinea helping them um, with the securing the ports and the airports. And through that, those mm-hmm. conversations, um, there was a huge gas project up there uh, and uh, like a oil, like a LNG gas project, 15, $16 billion project. And they needed accommodation and we got involved, bought a block of land to build a hotel uh, and it fell through. But through that journey, uh, I learned about prefabricated modular construction. So building buildings in um, factories to then put on site. And, and the, one of the things about working in, in um, emerging markets, third world, disruptive environments is you've always got to come at things from a different angle. Everything in that environment is unpredictable mm. and volatile. So therefore, as much as you can do outside of that in controlled environments, it, you, you minimize the risk to everything you do. So what we discovered was that we could, we could build buildings in China that were like big chunks of Lego and bring them on site and just screw them together, bolt them together and put a roof on. Uh, That's a a gross simplification of what actually happens. Uh, And, and through that process uh, we came across an architect in Perth that was trying to build a hotel and we applied that technique. even though, and again, this is when, you know, we literally were signing the contract to build this hotel and the next day uh, Exxon pulled out of the, out of the deal. Uh, And that's a bad day. Right. But on the back of that, Mm. Um, we went through that whole process, spent a lot of money. We got found uh, by an architect in Perth that wanted to build a 17-story building. Ours in, in Papua New Guinea was about eight. Uh, and we went, oh, I guess we can do it. And we, we teamed up with a builder down in Melbourne that was also on this pathway called Hickory. And together, we we came up with this concept of a 17-story prefabricated modular building. And um, a project that normally takes two years took 11 months. And it was fantastic. Um we, uh, yeah, set a world record um, for building a building that tall, um, and uh, you know, and that was a in the first world under an incredibly onerous building code, four and a half star hotel managed by one of the world's largest hotel groups. So that was a huge sense of achievement um, on the back of that.
0: Did you continue that uh, property development? Uh, process but also that career there well, no, at the time
1: at, at the time it was property was starting to look a bit shaky um, it was this was 2000 oh man it must have been 2014 15 and perth had just suffered the the um resources crash property dropped by 30% it wasn't it wasn't good times so that was when i transitioned into the publishing space uh, and i bought a company or a magazine called australian aviation which was australia's largest aviation publishing group and it was you know, 80% print publishing and we converted that into sort of an 80% digital publishing. Uh, and after two and a half years, I sold that um, to a, a major industry publisher who've taken custodianship of that brand uh, and continue to grow up, which is pretty cool. And I can stay involved. So I had this weird, you know, lost my flying category, couldn't fly anymore, went out into business and life t- turned full circle five years ago. And I landed in this afterburner space, which is using fighter pilot mindset and methodologies to deliver um, outcomes for individuals and business, like success outcomes. And this program's delivered all over the world, you know, NFL winning teams. I work with the NRL. Uh, I work with a lot of the biggest organizations in the country uh, delivering high-performing programs. And it's really cool because what is unique about the program, uh, and actually in November launching the first ever team coaching and development program which is which is um set up for founders and their team so if you're a business owner and you've got a small team to come together into a personal development space to improve collectively as a team there's a lot of individual personal development around the world uh, and here Mm. in australia everyone can develop as an individual but for me six years in business having lots of highly developed individuals is nowhere near as important as having a highly developed team like and i'm talking Mm. huge quantums here four or five times more more uh, more capable as a team so on the back of this we're launching um, this new program for teams uh, in in November but that it was just full circle for me I, I sat there watching after being a program and this big light bulb went off and it's like wow all that stuff I learned as a fighter pilot is, is the stuff I applied in business and it it fundamentally mm. works and then it ex- it's an accelerator and not only that you know on average eight percent of people achieve their life ambition I've achieved mm. four of my life ambitions already and that's a huge quantity. I know I'm exhausted content.
0: listening to you. <laughs> because,
1: and I've never been in the personal development space. I've never sought out to be in this world. I've never idealized the role of being a coach or whatever. But I'm just sort of falling into it. And I'm and I'm and yeah. I feel like the universe is saying this is your journey now. And I had a year off, and I went back to flying. And um, the the universe sort of again was saying um, you've reconnected with aviation. Uh, I was going to buy another business and get into training and a few other things. But everywhere I looked, the the universe kept telling me, no, your, your life is in the personal development space to develop groups of people, not individuals, but to try and build a better place by having groups of people do good things together.
0: Mm. What? Uh, and I just want to circle back for those that are listening over outside of Australia, the NRL is one of our football codes and leagues in Australia. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, it's like the English Premiership League or the NFL, you know, for Aussies in, in, a, in a much smaller version.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, what made you get tested for ADHD? Because you are 100 miles an hour. Speaking to you, you're 100 miles an hour, which is awesome. But what made you go, I'm, after all these years, I'm going to get find um, out whether or not I have because, ADHD? Be,
1: because my son was uh, is having pro- problems at school. At, yeah. But he's highly intelligent. Um, yeah and it was his school that sort of put put him into an academic program and and had a chat about it and started asking if there was a family trait or any of that sort of stuff um, and I, as I read into the behaviors and signs of it for him, I started looking at it and going this is me this is I am this person um, right And when I came back from Afghanistan uh, I, my marriage, Failed and I got divorced and had a bit of a dark patch for about a year there. Didn't didn't really trigger into depression, but and I was high functioning but not happy and and, and I thought I'd give myself one year to work on myself. So I went and found a psychologist. I, 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 yeah, I said if I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it properly found a clinical psychologist specialised in men's health and just went on a journey um, with with her. And and then I also came across and a, 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 through a friend of mine, a spiritual healer, guy called Joe Weeby fantastic um fantastic man he's also a spiritual coach for a lot of players in the nrl and through those two it was a bit of a spiritual and mind development program and i just surrendered myself to it and after a year i sort of popped out of that feeling much better and understanding the context of time and and space and i was always go 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 never reflective just always on the go um and uh from there it didn't ping to me either i again i'm still execution focused i'm one of the really great things about ADHD is it teaches you to get things done like no one else. You are so hyper-focused. Mm. And, and and when I work in organizations or with, with companies and I, I see how poorly they get things done, I see my ADHD as a superpower. Where mm. it's a weakness is trying to write a book about your superpower because <laughs> you sit here writing and you're like clicking, oh, what's, uh, oh, yeah, here's another great idea. And you're, you're off on rabbit warrens Googling, you know, the effects of dopamine or oxytocin is oxytocin, and then you, you're down a rabbit warren, which is why you can't have friends with benefits and people fall in love when they shouldn't, and you're down another rabbit hole. You know, <laughs> ADHD is just hyper stimulation and hyper focus on, on on something. And then you by the end of the day you're like, what did I what was what was I trying to do today again? So um yeah, so so with reading about that for Fletch and and look looking at it myself, the, the psychologist that I and being with a psychologist for a year, they didn't diagnose it either, right? Um, and and the, the, the mindset there was, oh, look, the Air Force would have tested for it anyway. You wouldn't have got there. But everybody knows when you do psychometric testing for something like the Air Force, you, just, you don't fill out the boxes the way you feel. You fill out the boxes the way they want you to. Um, so probably most people just, yeah.
0: <laughs> I didn't know that.
1: <laughs> so the question, which is when you walk along a bridge, do you feel like jumping off? You kind of obviously know that. That's the one you answered, no. no, right? Yeah. Do you have trouble <laughs> sitting down and thinking for long periods of time? Well, I reckon logically they want me to say no to this one as well. Uh, so when you when I answered all of the tests, honestly, yeah, I was, it was almost like 95% in the ADHD box. Um, but that but that's now presented another challenge for me, and it's actually got me on a bit of a downer as well because it's like I look at some of the opportunities, whilst I've done all this stuff, I look at... Some of the companies that I may have sold a bit early and a lot of the things I created have gone on to be huge multi-million dollar enterprises and I only enjoyed the creation stage I didn't enjoy the stability stage so my next phase of my life's journey is is exploring that stability side now uh, I've got another I've got a I've got two a son and a daughter 14 11 I've got another a baby Jew with my partner uh, in six weeks but for the first time I'm with you know, I'm with the partner I'm meant to be with, the person that where we we really are soulmates and we really get each other, and it's simple. Um, I'm I'm my real self. I'm fully honest with myself. I'm fully honest with with her. Uh, I, everything about me now is a is, not, is a open book, and it wasn't like that when I was in business, and and it was very much playing a game. Uh, and and that works when you're playing a game and you're in that world, but it's not the sort of game you want to live your whole life. Um, so you, again, it's amazing at 46, you you feel like you know, when I went through my journey uh, with my psychologist and spiritual healer in my mid-30s, I thought I'd got it. And here I am in my mid-40s. And it's like, wow, I've just learned something else again about myself on another level of awareness. So I think this is the fascinating journey about life, I think. It's whatever you are and whatever your awareness of who you are, it's evolutionary and it always mm. changes and never, you know, I've had, I've had, uh, I've sat having an argument with a surgeon who was trying to cut me open because I had a fully obstructed bowel uh, thanks to my medical condition because it's an inflammatory condition. So it inflames everything, yeah. including your intestines. And and and, and ha- having, you know, six surgeons and nurses standing over you at five in the morning asking you to sign a consent form to go under the knife. And I'm like, no, I refuse to go under the knife. You have to, you have to. I'm like, um, well, I don't know. I confirm this is my diagnosis. Yes, this is your diagnosis. Okay, well, I Googled that last night and I spent eight hours – reading medical journals and yeah because google has the google scholar has like the proper journal side not the fake news side of google and i said Mm -hmm. look so yeah i've got a 72 hour period here where i can uh i can my my intestines will stay alive before necrosis and they're like yes well technically that's true and okay so here we are 18 hours after i was admitted so i've still got what if i gave you half of that what if you gave me another day Uh, and oh man they brought the professor in from royal north shore hospital and but I just felt this pressure to have surgery, and surgery on your guts is a big deal. Like it's once you mm. once you section your intestines, that that is one continuous muscle that takes stuff from your stomach and squeezes it like a you know like a like a thing that you decorate cakes with, uh, and pops out as poop at the end. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you you cut that bag, you're always going to have problems, and you have this huge you know um, this huge scar, and, and it cuts through abdominal tissue. It's bad juju. Uh, and it's the third time in my life that someone has told me to go and and, and, um, and have surgery for something. And it's the third time I've been lucky enough to go and find natural remedies to to avoid it. Uh, so through that journey and, and finding a, a holistic GP and learning about you know, Medicare and the health system only deals with intolerances and allergies. It doesn't deal with immune response and proteins. Uh, so you learn about that you learn about the, the immune system of the gut and i managed to 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 go through that in a um in a in a health conscious way and then and then you know uh my um lauren my partner is i manifested yeah manifestation i met someone through it when i was when i was you know uh, batching it around and she was a bit of a spiritual healer as well and i said oh wouldn't it be nice if i could you know find a life partner forever and i believe in that and and she's like, "You need to manifest very specifically to the universe exactly what you want." And I went from the deep to the shallow in terms <laughs> of manifesting my partner. And literally four weeks later, we met. Wow! Um, and it was the, it was the, and it was the checklist of every single thing that, from an intimacy perspective, and in, uh, intelligence, uh, philosophical uh, about life. Having a, I, I even though I am high energy, I am very low stress, very, very low stress demeanor. I, I've got a low emotional threshold. And so did she and and we met each other and and I said at the end of our first date, I said, this is going to sound really weird, but I went through this manifestation process and and through that, as we were talking, I started to get this feeling that this is a bit weird that I've created it. I asked her very pointed questions and then I kept, and I thought, right, I'm going to lean into this and everything I manifested, I'm going to put on the table. I'm not going to tell her. And I went through everything and I was like, this is bizarre. And then I said at the end of the day, I said, "You know what? I've manifested you. Do you are you sure you exist? Well, you did, did the universe just create you out of nothing?" Um, and we had a laugh about it and connected on that very first occasion, um, and because we met online, the online banter which, you know, was she. Wasn't interested um, (laughs) at first, and uh, a few months later we reconnected, and and it it happened. And in between was the manifestation. So I didn't know anything about it beforehand. Went through a few months, went through the manifestation thing, and then after back of that, it came into into this uh, into this new world. So it was bizarre, so strange. You
0: mentioned you mentioned that you had the spiritual healer. What what was the spiritual healer doing? I mean, there's all sorts of different spiritual healing. What was there a nothing involving thing that they were walking on hot or coals or
1: doing any weird weird shit? It was just very simple, which was <laughs> I've
0: walked on the hot coals. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, I haven't. Um, and everyone's journey is different, right? So I certainly don't judge people on their I really don't judge people on their on their journey. And yeah. everyone is, has different motivators in and a different experience in life. So I, I'm a huge believer in in um in everyone's journey being different. For me, being ADHD and 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 being averse to other people telling you what to do, you 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 don't like it because it provides accountability that you don't want. So for me, it's always a national. If, if there's a program or something, it's it's a national, It's a natural pushback for me. I'm like, nah. Lots of people do that. They do it for a reason. It's not my reason. So so anyway, but but and, and then so through, through through Joe, it was all about. It's just everything is about ego. You're just a cog in the machine. You're you take ownership of everything, and if you do that and be the best version of yourself and throw goodness out, the universe looks after the rest, and and that's exactly what happened. Mm. It's that simple. That that was the lesson, and oh, but also understanding what ego was. Uh, that that ego is not a big ego. Ego is just how you view yourself in the world, mm. and if you're if you're asking yourself questions which are um, i deserve more this is unfair why me every time that that's a trigger to say that's ego that just take that conversation away and lean into doing the things you can control um and then you want, and and i guess that's it's, it's looking at yourself in the third person and i often do this which is I'm in the moment. I feel this, if this was my best friend, what would I say to them? And I, it immediately removes emotion from the situation. It's a case of saying, okay, um, best friend. Look, this is just in the moment. It doesn't mean anything. And maybe if you look at it objectively, this is how you would deal with it. And I have this chip and I have this, this, this immediate mantra in my mind. Whenever I get an emotive response to anything, I immediately go, step back, step back. Um, and the minute I say that, I, I I look at every situation objectively. Now I'm an architect personality type, so it's a bit easier for me to do that than it is for other people because I I do like logic. My my programming is to be is logic, um, and yeah, that that was very powerful as well because I would get you know frustrated in traffic, frustrated at other people, frustrated frustration for me was being trained to be a real, real high performer in the, in the in the air force. So learning to just let that go. And to accept everyone for who they are, but also understanding the power that you have and the power of influence and how everyone has different timelines. And if you want people to get on board with where you're going, they're only going to do it if you set the example, you set the standard, you behave the way that they want to be, and then they get Mm. on board. And you can never tell anyone everything. You can only allow them to discover. Telling is fraught with danger.
0: What you said um, a while ago actually several times that you were aware of the signs that the universe were um, was giving you and putting out and and then taking those signs and and going with them how were you able to recognize that that is actually a sign of the universe and then what do you because sometimes you can go well I don't want to go that way but I want to go this way and they're you can both say that they're signs from the universe. So, how do you sort of distinguish between which well, ones that, are going that, to be?
1: It's that old Ethiopian saying, you know, pray for water, but start walking for water. You know, like it's great. It's great to have this universal concept, and people use the universe as an excuse for not doing anything as well, right? You know, um, well, if so, be it. Uh, so, and and maybe it's just convenience for me, but I. I, when it comes to making a decision, I, I don't think what do I want based on where I am right now? I I use it as an opportunity to go, Hmm, maybe, maybe there's a different way of doing this. Maybe this is the universe opening up an opportunity. And it's normally because uh, I'm starting to get frustrated by something or something bad's happened. Mm. And I think, the, the you know if you prescribe to the theory of yin and yang and and all the rest of it there's you'll never there's no such thing as perpetual happiness. You, you've got people worth hundreds of millions commit suicide because they're unhappy, right? You've mm. got uh, people that are in self-destructive ba- money is this thing that we've made as a as an ideal and it's not it's really about how you bounce back because no matter what if you have a if you have a high, you're going to have a low it's 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 part and parcel of everything you're going to go to the gym you're going to get fit you're going to be super healthy and something's going to happen and it's going to make you not be healthy uh, so and as you get older i think the extremities between the ups and downs start to reduce a bit because you're a bit smarter and i have another saying which is nothing's as good or as bad as it seems um and it's and it's very true Uh, So when it comes to, Mm. hey, what's the universe saying? I don't think the universe says anything. I think it just creates a moment in time where if you lean into it, you're not going to self-sabotage. You accept that the universe is going to help you. And if you fear it, that's you putting in your own barriers. So the universe may or not provide, I don't know. It might just be a a decision which is Mm. don't self-sabotage, keep moving.
0: So what do you know or what have you... Come to know when is the time to lean into things, and when is the time to step back.
1: Uh, you, if you, if you're unsure, lean in. This um, <laughs> the Is the philosophy, uh, and <laughs> and then if um, when you're when you're not leaning, in, you're actively making a decision to have a rest, and and you have to rest, you can't lean in all the time because it burns energy. Uh, and I, it's it's this bias to action, I guess, uh, which is if you're Running your own business, having a meeting, yeah, starting a podcast, doing whatever, whatever you do. When you start doing it, it's not going to be interesting. It's not going to be the best version of it. It's not. It's not going to yield a, a reward. So you just have to keep going. You just mm. have to be present. And then one day, something will happen. And, and this is the story of, of my life. It's every time you think you, you, you don't have a contract in the pipeline. The wheels are about to fall off, you just get a random email or someone reaches out to you randomly and you land a deal. I don't know how it works. Mm. And maybe if I didn't stress about it, it would happen anyway. But it's like a it's like you've got to wait to earn it. You've got to wait to earn the happiness. And I've never met an entrepreneur or a business owner or anyone where it's or or an athlete, anyone who's done anything that people write or talk about is the result of hard work, determination, and focus. It just it just is.
0: With your coaching, the team coaching that you do through Afterburner, is is there a current is there a theme that you find is within all these organizations that you can say, okay, this is a common theme in regards to why they're not performing at their peak?
1: Context. So not understanding what the outcome is and why you're putting in the effort. The 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 um you know, I guess it's the why or what I call what's the point. Uh, that's the that's the thing, um, and and people need that big goal, and and I think that's why I've managed to you know do four major life goals is because I've always had four big things that I really didn't want to fail at, and and significantly, are things that you can, are, they're things that you know people want to talk about, uh, and and you know it means something to get it done, like building a hotel when you've never done it before. And you've only, that's all I did. I built one hotel. I've never built one since. I mean, how random is that? But it's- it, I know, you
0: could have gone to another state.
1: <laughs> so, so, but that was it for me. That's my ADHD. That was fine. I wanted to build up. I wanted to do something with prefabricated modular construction. It came up, I built it, did it, done. Move on to the next thing. Um, and that thing is there forever. It's tangible. It's a 17 story freaking hotel in the middle of the CBD. It's never going to go anywhere. And my company built it, so so for me that is a meaningful thing to do. That's cool, mm-hmm. um, and and it's it's just about doing stuff. That's you know I've always done stuff that's I perceive as kind of cool. Flying fighter jets is kind of cool. Building hotels kind of cool. Uh, helping people work better as a team is kind of cool. Being a publisher in the in the aviation industry is kind of cool. Um, I've never been motivated by doing things that are like being an actuary or something. And for people that do it, it's cool. Everyone's cool is different, but mm. I think you've got to do the things that you find are cool to do.
0: How long have you been doing the um, team coaching for?
1: Six years, and that's I'm only now really starting to lean into it as a. It's been a hobby to be brutally honest. Um, okay, but, but now it's something that uh, I'm I'm looking at creating some more robust IP structure. To, to deliver a program that um, is very accessible. I mean, one of the challenges with team development is just when you say it, you know, people like, oh, there's no I in team, you know, what, what what's team development all about?
0: But there's an ME, that equals me. Uh,
1: yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> and and it's a bit, uh, yeah. you know, we're, we're in the era of self-actualization, not not community actualization, right? Um so it's it is a it is a challenge, mm. uh, and one of the benefits about and where where we position this is is people that are at the at not the end but they've done their personal development journey and they're at the point where the people around them that they're reliant on aren't there yet. So we need to bring everyone along mm. for that journey.
0: It's interesting that you're saying that we're not a team team based focus; is we're more individually focused. Which was at the statement? Do you think social media has had a big impact on that?
1: Yeah, it's and uh, look, social media, and, and again, people get wrapped around the axle. And I go, well, it's just your social community online. If you went into a bar and there are a bunch of dickheads there, you know, bullying you or, or tearing you down, it's it's the same thing. I mean, the the main difference here is is scale. Uh, but you can turn it off. You can disconnect just the same way you can walk out of a bar. You can turn your socials off, right? Uh, and I think uh, when you look at the power for good within the social network i think it's incredibly it's amazing and and running running a publishing business and, and building quite a big social portfolio from nothing uh is um really enlightening as to how it works and and i think one of the really powerful things in there is there are genuinely good people doing good things and sharing messages that with real meaning on there but you can't design yourself out of the loop and and say oh I keep getting exposed to bad people and bad things. Social media sucks. Turn it off. Turn them off. There is a block function. And stay connected to the community and the people. There's only four things that that stop you that are the handbrake to getting where you want to get to in life. What you do day to day, your personal execution, how you communicate, your plan or lack of a plan, or you're in a toxic environment. Those four levers change your life. And if you bring everything back to that, and just make a decision about it, you will you will see amazing things happen. You will see things open up, and you will start to see that universal theory um, come into play. It's very powerful.
0: Is there, are those four things what you go through in a as a group for corporations? Is that what you sort of help them yeah, absolutely. identify, or is that um, more of a?
1: I do, but when I identify the toxic environment part, I leave. I don't even bother working with those organisations. There's no point. Um, yeah. So I use that as my own uh, litmus test to 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 lean into that company or not. So so really, I work around the other three. The toxic right. group thing. The toxic group thing is more around. Um, that's that's that transition from adolescence to adult where. You, you know, you can get caught up in that. I think that's more important. That's when you're starting to look at your peer groups, hitting 30, wondering whether being out drinking every night is such a great idea. Um, and I think you, I think everyone, I think everyone creates a universe, an environment that engages in toxicity together, that mob mentality. And then I think people start to make their decisions to get out of that and they create new peer groups and, and move forward. So I don't, I don't, when you say you're in a toxic environment or organization, I think what that means is that's, that's a moment in time. I don't think people are fun- some people are fundamentally toxic, but there's, mm. there's not that many of them. But it's almost like if everyone made a collective agreement to disband their drinking group at the age of 27, yeah, everyone would move on. but I think that just happens slowly by by osmosis. and, and when I say that toxic environment, it's hey, you, you just got to surround yourself with the people that mean something to you and you're going to have a few of those from your youth. And you're going to start to connect with different people as you get older because you find yourself. And that's why I think it's quite a dangerous period to, to get married or engaged. You know, when I got married the first time, I was 26, and I, I felt like I knew everything.
0: And I'd lived mm. a very
1: full life. But in hindsight, I knew nothing. I, I knew I knew something that that I was living and breathing, the fighter pilot and that world. But the world outside of that, I was just a junior burger. I had no idea.
0: I know that your focus is on the coaching through Afterburner for corporate corporates and teams and stuff like that, but do you do, is there any a resource or access that individuals can have with you?
1: There's not really, and that's always been a head scratcher for me, uh, and it's just because of the price point. We, we can't get individuals or or teams involved, and that's what's led me to, to launch this new um, this new uh, event in November uh, and that it's a new community called The Few. Uh, and that's The Few Podcast is where you can start to connect with that. Um, it's, then it's That's just fewpodcast.com. Uh, and that will morph in the next couple of weeks into that event launch. Uh, and then really the book, which is called On Time, On Target, uh, that's available, you know, Amazon, Booktopia, you name it. That's the framework. That's the mindset that allows you to win and be successful more.
0: Those four, Those four levers.
1: Yeah, it's in you were there. you talking about, okay. It's in the book, okay. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, and I probably need to just launch a mini book on that, to be honest. Um, but that's okay. That's me. I'm framing up all my 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 IP and what that looks like. Uh, mm. it, there's a lot of moving parts, and whilst there's a lot of complexity in life, the trick is being able to deal with that complexity simply. Um, and mm. that for me always lands at this this one one question: What's the point? And then the second question after it is, well, why am I here? And and the third question is, what do I need to do to get closer to what's the point? What's the point? Why am I not there yet? What am I going to do about it?
0: Have you thought about um, moving into a paid webinar capacity for individuals?
1: Potentially. I just don't know how to do any of that stuff yet. So I'm, I'm what you would call <laughs> a reluctant coach expert. I know – what I do and the conversations I have work my delivery mechanisms yeah. for that that's again you know that's my 46 year old um, next chapter uh, and that's that's what I'm creating um, yeah. creating now and I know I know that the virtual arena is is a powerful one for that but uh, at the same time, um, it's a, it's creating the value within there and where to start those those conversations. So yes, that will be that will be coming. And look, I just have people, you know, just if people just reach out to me on my uh, LinkedIn page primarily, I just and, and they want coaching, I'll just do it. I'll, I'll set up a little coaching program, and you know, um, we'll, we'll have a conversation around value, how much they're willing to invest in changing their life, and that's a key part of it. Uh, it's it, you, you can't coach for free. Um, mm. You can mentor, you can mentor, but you can't coach because coaching yeah. requires a commitment on both sides. Um, and yeah. if you pay gym membership, you tend to go to the gym more than if you've got free access to a gym. So it's the same philosophy in, in terms of life coaching. you got to have a chat around the, the value proposition and then uh, from there, uh, you know, come up with a program. And, and if people want a genuine life change, you're, you're going to be invested in that for a year at least. At least. Um, mm. and if you want to do mm. something that makes you earn money independent of your salary or, or or someone else that's a 3 year journey as well i work in 1 to make a personal transition 3 to be self sustainable
0: so with the with the corporations do you do it do you go through the whole business or do you can managers just contact you and say, "I've got this budget. I want you to come and chat to my team."
1: Yeah, it 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 depends as well because you need high performing leaders. So you you, mm. do, you normally only get like five percent of the organization people that genuinely want to move it forward. Uh, so you normally get engaged uh, at the C level CEO, CIO, CTO, and from there roll out the programs. Um, and and they just tend to get deeper and deeper into the into the organization.
0: Okay and they can everyone can find you through um the afterburner.com yeah afterburner.com.au
1: is is where just google afterburner australia um whatever Mm -hmm. uh if you land in that environment you'll go on a journey it'll explain it all tells you about fighter pilots all that good stuff Um, and hopefully that gives you your triggers to get that forward moving mindset that never quit keep moving forward keep debriefing keep reflecting create those big visions, get your heart engaged, but you've got to do stuff every day Mm -hmm. as well. That's the key, getting the little things done every single day.
0: Now, for those that are listening overseas, are you just Australian focused or can you do these um, courses virtually for them?
1: No, it's all online as well. Uh, we'll We just set up an an online coaching program. Again, I just have a Calendly uh, booking that's in when when someone reaches out to me, I send them an email with a bit of info, um, a link to the book that are from there they'll then um decide whether or not to get involved in in coaching we book it through canon and we'll just set up a few hour sessions to to get the ball rolling we create a uh, objective tracker which is effectively uh, the three things you want to achieve in a year the three things you want to achieve in three months the three things to achieve in a month and the three things to achieve in a week and the three things you're going to do every single day to get there and that's um another uh, another technique i fundamentally believe in is the rule of threes trying try to you can get three things done um trying to do more than that you won't get them done
0: okay perfect so everyone jump onto afterburner.com.au um i'll link everything as well in the show notes for the podcast episode and uh yeah reach out to boo thanks so much Boo. lovely
1: speaking with you also Fiona thanks so much for having me
0: Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them.